Chapel Westgrove. Good morning. It is a blessing to be here with you guys. I'm just so thankful each and every single one of you guys who've been praying for me. I'm so thankful. I feel great. and It's amazing to be back and there's truly no place like home. I've missed you guys so very much. But while I was away over these two weeks, I learned a lot. And like, well, a couple things I want to share with you guys. But I really learned a lot. I'm reminded of just of a couple things. One thing that I learned is that, man, I am getting old. And uh, I tell you what, those of you guys who may or may not know you're praying for me, I did get sick and um, I was away with, um, with COVID. And, you know, I was in bed for a little bit. And I tell you what, the lack of hygiene and just going in there, the mirrors are unforgiving. I tell you what, I woke up one day after being down for a little bit, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, wow, better days are behind me. And, um, but um, I realized that I no longer have to dye my beard gray anymore. As a young pastor, I used to put a little gray in there to get respect from the elders. I don't have to do that anymore. This is real and it's official. And, uh, but I also learned a lot of things that just spending some time with God. One of those things is I'm reminded of something that we all know and that we learn time and time again, that things never work out the way that we expect, do they? And that's just a lesson that I, I learned time and time again. And I'm just reminded that we make plans, but God directs our steps. And no matter if they're going the ways that we want them, we think that they should be or desire for them to be, if it doesn't go that way, God is still in control and that God is still good. I never would have imagined um, early on as becoming the new senior pastor that in my first week that I would be missing Christmas, that I would get COVID, that I would miss Christmas Eve. And I was just so bummed and so um, just heartbroken over that. I never would have thought, like Christmas is our Super Bowl, right? And I'm thinking, man, I was so excited. What perfect time. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And then I get sick. And um, man, I just never would imagine. So, but I tell you what, man, those Christmas messages would have been good. Okay. They were, I had some really good stuff. So actually I'm going to preach a, preach a Christmas message for you guys today. And then, uh, so pretend this is Christmas. And then uh, next Sunday is going to be Christmas Eve. No, I'm not going to do that <laughs> for you guys. But next year, man, I'm telling you what, it's going to be like slow marinating by the time next year comes around. They'll be really, really good. But things never work out the way that we expect. And the other thing that I, that I learned was, man, I don't know about you, but I am prone to fear at times. And I think it's not just me, but I think all of us, that's what the enemy wants to do is put fear in God's people. God wants us to walk by faith. The enemy wants to stricken and stifle God's people with fear. Um, when I first started getting sick, I thought I had an ear infection. It just goes with the territory of having big ears. And, um, and I just, I thought my ears started getting a little itchy. I'm like, oh, I just got an ear infection, and then I got tested and found out that I had COVID. And all of a sudden, when I had an ear infection, I thought that I was just getting a common cold or a flu. I was okay. But once my doctor told me I had COVID, I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? That quick, just those words, just all of a sudden finding something, something that somebody told me that quick, everything changed. I'm like, why? Why? I, I realized that fear is a choice. One minute I was okay and I was fine and everything was good. And then one minute somebody told me something and it just put fear upon me. And I had a choice to walk in that, to, to claim that, to cling to that, or to, to walk in faith knowing that God is still good. This didn't catch him by surprise. And so I just set aside the fear and by God's grace, I'm here and I learned a lot. So let's close in prayer. Let's get on our way. Father, we just thank you. No, if, you if you guys, um, you know, but I tell you what, 20... If just being reminded of things that 
don't always go how we expect. I think if we needed a practical illustration of what that would look like, I think 2020 is a pretty good one. Uh, we can just look at that. I don't think anyone this time last year thought that 2020 would go the way that it went. Nobody expected that. Nobody thought that. And so we're reminded of that. But as we look forward to a new year, we need to be reminded. I believe and I'm clinging to it. I'm just in my spirit. I believe that God is going to do great things next year. I believe that God's going to do great things in my life. I know he wants to do things with me, stretch me, grow me, teach me. I believe that God wants to do the same with you. And I believe that God wants to do this with our church, our fellowship. And I'm believing that. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm believing and trusting in faith and walking in the amazing things and plans. Because that's what God says. He has plans for us that are good. And I believe that 2021 is going to be a good year. And I'm just can't wait to see the great things that he's going to do. But as we look forward to a new year, this is the time of year we begin to, to look back. And as we look today, I, I want us to see if there's anything, maybe just one thing that God would have us to leave here today, to let us leave different, something that we've been holding on to, something that we've been clinging to, that God wants us to let go and move forward from. And this is the most perfect day, the last Sunday of the new year, to say, God, what would you have us to leave here. And so let's look at what God's word says in the book of Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 27 this morning. Mark 10, 17 through 27. And we will start at verse 17 where it says this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And so we get picked up in a popular story that maybe we have heard many, many times before. Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry. He is going from place to place, teaching like no one had ever taught before with such authority and power and might. He's doing miracles that nobody had ever seen before. He's raising people from the dead, giving sight to the blind. And there's a lot of people around at Jesus' ministry at this point. And we get introduced to a young man in the midst of all the crowds. He runs up to Jesus and he asks him a question, a very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Many of us know this story as the rich young ruler. And he has called this, Matthew alludes to the fact that he was young. And in Luke, it tells us that he was a ruler, probably oversaw a synagogue. And as we look here in Mark's account of this story, we find out that he was a very rich and wealthy man, hence the name Rich young ruler. Understanding and knowing these things about him, we see that this man is everything and has everything that the world esteems high and places high importance upon. He had his health, he had his wealth, he was young, and he had power and prestige and wealth and everything that the world esteems high, this man had. But even in the midst of that, he knows that there was something missing. There was something empty. There was something separating him and it was the lack that he didn't have a relationship with God and he knew that he was missing something he wanted eternal life and so he runs up and he kneels before Jesus and he asks him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life now before Jesus answers his question he turns 
and asks this young man a question. And he says, why do you call me good? There are none good, no, not one. Now, Jesus asked this question to make this young man think and to ponder really what he was asking, what he was implying, and what he was saying with the question that he was asking Jesus. With this question that Jesus asks him, why do you call me good? There are no good except for one, which is God. He is hinting and alluding to the fact that this man might quite possibly have a little insight into who Jesus was, that he was different than every other teacher, that he was, there was something unique about him. And this man had the insight that didn't come from man, that came from God. You might remember the story when Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter said, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are right, but you didn't come up with this on your own. It was revealed to you through the spirit. And so this man had some insight to come up and call Jesus good. He knew that there was something different about him, just in a mere title, calling him good teacher. That title, good teacher, wasn't one that they would call rabbis of this time because by implying good, it gave the idea of sinless perfection. And that was too close to God. That was something that was only referred to by God himself. And we're also reminded of Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, there are none good, no, not one. So this man knew that there was something good, something different about Jesus. We came to realize each and every one of us who have followed Jesus and given our life to Jesus, we knew that there was something different, different than anything and everything in this world. And that's why we surrendered our life. That's why we gave our life, because he is good in the midst of everything that is bad. There is none like him. And this man had that same type of feeling. And so Jesus said, why do, you, why do you call me good? A thought-provoking question. Jesus was not denying his deity here, but he was rather giving him an opportunity to acknowledge it. And so we're reminded that Jesus was much more than just a good teacher, which he is. The best teacher of all time, but he was also, according to himself here, was God. And it's important that we know that, share that, because there's many people in the world that will accept Jesus as a good teacher. Majority of the world would say, oh, he, he's a good teacher. He taught like no one had ever taught before. But the problem is, he was just that. He's not just that. He is God. And so after asking that question, he gets back into the man's original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He gets back to the, the central question that this young man wanted to know. And even just this, the way the man phrased this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, it gives us a little insight into his understanding or lack thereof of spiritual things. He was under the assumption that eternal life, a relationship with God, was something that you could inherit, something that he could gain or attain by not surrendering his life wholly and completely and fully to God. After all, this was a man who had wealth and power and prestige. He thought that he could, there was some way that he could just attain or inherit that which was missing and lacking in his life. But we know that eternal life, a relationship with God, has nothing to do with us. It's a free gift from God that we freely receive, not about what we have done or what we did, but, but what he has done and what he did for us. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, you know the commandments. After all, you are a ruler of the synagogue. You know the laws. You know the statutes, the commandments from God. And so he lists 
and points a few out to him. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You know this. Why aren't you coming to me asking these things? And Jesus is getting him to, to think and to continue to open up his mind. Now, by Jesus telling him, you know the commandments, he wasn't implying that just keeping the commandments and doing this and not doing this was going to get him in a right place with God. We know that not to be true. There are none good, no, not one. It's not the good things that we do that get us in a good standing with God. That's not what he was saying. He was hoping that by him contemplating and pondering the commandments of God, that he might see his own shortcomings. That he might realize as he thought about the laws that he is guilty of committing these laws and that he'd be in need of a savior. Jesus was using the law, as the book of Galatians says, as a, a tutor, or even as James says, as a mirror. When we look at the laws of God, we realize that, man, we're flawed and that we need a savior. And so that's what Jesus was attempting to do here. You know the commandments. And so he, this rich young ruler answers Jesus. And so we know not only was he a rich young ruler, but he was also a man of morals and a man of integrity, and we can tell just by his answer. When Jesus points out a couple of the commandments to him, he responds with, I've kept all those things since my youth. If that's all that it takes, I've done this. Why am I still empty? Why am I still missing something? I've done all of these things. And I believe that this man was honest and sincere. I think he really believed that he was doing the things that he needed to do to be right with God. He was able to say this. I don't think he was deceiving Jesus or attempting to mislead Jesus in any way. He thought that he was right because of his interpretation of keeping the law. He thought the law was about do's and don'ts. But Jesus taught us, and he covered it's more than just the things that we do on the outside. And one of the most beautiful sermons of all time, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said it's not just about the inside, it's about the heart's. And Jesus covered and let us know that it's possible to commit adultery and to commit murder without actually doing the acts. Those things take place in the heart. And that was the issue with this man. And that's what we need to understand today. Nobody, maybe some here say, well, I've never committed murder. I've never committed adultery. But Jesus said, what if you looked at somebody with anger in your heart, you've murdered. So we're all murderers. Adultery, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed the act. It's not just about the physical act, it's about the hearts. And so here this man is standing before Jesus. He was good on the outside, but inside he was decaying. The Bible refers to these types of people as whitewashed tombs. We can dress up and focus on being okay on the inside. Jesus said, you bless me with your lips. Everything is good on the outside, but your heart is what? Far from me. Far from me. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our mind. He wants our soul. He wants everything. And so he points these things out to this man, and we pick up in verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him, and he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus gave him the answer to that which he desired, that which he wanted to know. You would think that he would walk away leaping and jumping and just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. He found out how to have a relationship with God. How do we inherit eternal life? He got the key and he didn't go away happy or blessed. It says he was saddened. He was, he was grieved. 
You see, the rich young ruler was missing the point of what was going on. And so Jesus tells him plainly in verse 21, there is one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you possess, give it to the poor, store up treasures in heaven, and come follow me. You see, even though this man was a man of morals, a man of integrity, and in his mind he did everything right on the outside, he was dying on the inside. There was one thing that was holding him back. He was in bondage to greed, to money, which was holding him back. The one thing, Jesus said, you need to let go of it. You need to let go of it. This, this one thing was a major stumbling block. It was holding him back from having this close and intimate relationship with Jesus, and he gave him the key to be free. This is what's holding you back, this one thing. Now, this challenge that Jesus was giving him was out of love. The Bible says that Jesus looked upon this man with love. He had a heart for him. Seeing his emptiness, seeing that this man gave so much, but yet there was only one thing that was holding him back. He had power, he had prestige. He had everything that the world esteems high, but there was something lacking, and it was breaking Jesus' heart as he was looking at him with love. And so Jesus was telling this to him, to free him, to deliver him, so that this man could have that relationship that he wanted. And he had a choice. And he chose not to take that thing. But it was done out of love. And the same goes for us. Everything that God calls us to let go of, to stop doing, to start doing, it's always for our good and for his glory. Those of us who have kids, we know they get to a point where they know everything, about 12, 13 years old. And, you know, we see them start going down the wrong path. Maybe they start getting a group of friends that we don't think is good for them. And so what are we going to do? We're going to come to them and we're going to tell them, hey, listen, those, those friends are going to bring you down. They're going to lead you down the wrong path. They're going to cause you to do things that are, that are bad. And so we share with them. And like every, when we share our heart with our kids, like every other 12 and 13-year-old, they say, okay, mother, I'll cut off my friends. Yeah, right. They never do that, right? You don't know. You're trying to control me. Leave me alone and let me be. Right now, we're at that stage with my son. My wife is telling him that every single girl is the devil. Every single, you stay away from her. I'm like, that's a good woman. That's a pastor's daughter. She's the devil. Uh, sorry, son, you're called, you're called to a life of singleness, I guess. You know, but they have a choice to make. Are they going to listen to their parents, which want what's good for them? They don't want to see them go down the wrong path. They don't want to see them hurt or harmed or their relationship with God hindered. So they have a choice to make. And so too with us here today, every day, walking with the Lord. When he tells us to let go of something, when he tells us to, to start doing something that we're not, to stop doing something that we are, it's for our good. And we have a choice. Are we going to cling to that? Are we going to hold to that? Are we willing to let go of that? to have a better relationship with Christ. And so Jesus looked at his love, and it was out of love. It was for his good. Let go of the possessions. Now, it's important for us to understand that possessions and wealth and the things that this man had that he was blessed with aren't necessarily wrong or evil in and of themselves. 
There are many godly, wealthy people that the Bible talks about. Abraham was one of the richest men of all time. And David, we can go on and on and on. Money was not the problem here. The problem was that this man's possessions were possessing him. And they had overtaken him. They had become an idol to him. And this was the one thing that was holding him back from a personal, close, intimate relationship with God. And Christ wanted to set him free from this bondage, that he could be free to walk with him and talk with him. And this was the answer to his question, what must I do? This is what Christ was telling him. They were the priority. They were the focus of his life, was his riches, his power, and his prestige. And sadly, these riches on earth, his possessions, they had become more important to him, as we see in the scriptures, than storing up treasures in heaven and following Christ. They were the stumbling block. He says, you got to let it go. And so today, as we are coming to the end of 2020 time, 2020, what a great time. What a great time. The last service of the year, Sunday morning, to take an inventory. This is a time where we naturally begin to think about forward and things that we want to do next year. Let's not let this time pass and really take inventory on our lives. To really see if there's one thing like this man that might be holding us back from a closer relationship with him, to have a more intimate relationship with him. If there's one thing that Christ would say, let go of and leave here today, do not take that with you in 2021 because it's going to hold you back. This is the one thing. Leave it here today. What a better time than now than today to take inventory. Now, this rich young ruler was willing to give so much but he wasn't willing to give up that one thing. Let's not make that mistake today. Matthew 6 says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot have two masters. The challenge for this man that Jesus gave him was to pick up his cross and to follow him. And that's what he needed to hear. Follow me. This was the same call that he gave his disciples. Each and every single one that he called, pick up your cross and follow me. And so this was an invitation that was going on to this man. But to follow me, you got to let go of something. Jesus was giving him a good word. But to pick up his cross and follow him, Jesus was saying that I need you to sell everything. Now, this isn't a universal call to follow Jesus that we all got to go and sell everything. That was this man's one thing that he was holding on to. And so... He was called to sell everything because his prosperity was the one thing that was holding him back from picking up his cross and following Jesus. And so today we have to ask ourselves tough questions. We have to take inventory. We have to search our hearts and ask ourselves, are we serving two masters today? Is there anything that we need to get rid of? Anything that we need to let go of? What is God calling us to let go of here today that might be hindering? What's our one thing? That's holding us back. What are we holding on to? Maybe it's a, a sin or an area of the flesh in our lives. Those seem to be a little bit easier. Those things that bring pleasure, that pleases the flesh, that makes the flesh happy. But we know that it's hindering and not helping our relationship with God. Maybe you know what that is today. My challenge is to let it go and to leave it here. But maybe God wants to set us free from fear, from worry, from anxiety. Those things are a little trickier. Fear sets in. 
And that's how we operate now. That's how we make every decision. Instead of making a decision from a place of faith, we make it from fear. And that's how we operate. And we begin to justify. I'm just a little fearful person. That's, that's who I am. That's my nature. No, that's the sin nature. I'm just a, a worry wart. God says, do not worry. Time and time again. Worrying and fear and and anxiety, these are things that God may be calling us here today to let go of, to leave here, that he wants to deliver us. That might be our one thing. What is your one thing here today? Let's give it up. Let's let go. Let's leave different. Let's push on in 21, expecting great things, holding on to nothing that hinders, only clinging to that which helps us have a more personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Now, here in Mark's account that we're reading here today, Jesus let him know what he was lacking. He said, this is the one thing that you are lacking. He told him. Now, in Matthew's account, Jesus didn't tell him. This man had to ask. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. After he laid this list, the guy says, I've done all these things from my youth. What am I lacking? He knew that there was something missing. He knew that he was lacking, and he knew that it was a right relationship with God. This is the same question that many people ask themselves on a daily basis. Oftentimes, after they achieve something, a goal that is met that they reached out to try to attain, a promotion, a job, a degree, a relationship, whatever it may be, we get that, and we think that that is going to bring that which is lacking that's what I'm missing. And then when we get it, we feel empty. What am I lacking? So many people. I got the best job. I got, just got promoted. I just got a girlfriend. I just got married. I just got engaged. It can go on and on and on, but what am I lacking? What am I missing? It's Jesus. Christ and Christ alone can bring satisfaction and peace to our hearts. So many people are wondering what that is. What am I lacking? It's Jesus. And so after Jesus let this man know what he was missing and what he needed to do, look, he walked away. It says grieving and saddened. Grieved. This didn't have to be the case, but he, he wasn't willing to let go. He wasn't willing to be free to answer the call that Christ was putting and placing upon his life. Matthew's account says that this man left sorrowful and emotional. This could have been the best day of his life. He would have answered the call that Christ was placing for him. He gave him the key. He answered the question that he wanted to know. But he left sorrowful, emotional. Why? Because this man knew that he was making the wrong decision. And whenever we know that we're making the wrong decision, doing that which God doesn't command or what God delights in or what God desires for us, we never feel good about it. And we shouldn't. Matter of fact, we feel terrible. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you call yourself a believer and you're doing something that you know is not right or contrary to the word of God and you feel good about it, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Man, the closer I walk with God, I can't get away with nothing. A thought comes to my mind, I'm like, oh, feels terrible. And then if you give in and you do what you're not supposed to do, oh my goodness, it's the most embarrassing. 
And my times of trial always happen in my car for some reason. People cut me off. I'm just, oh man, I'm getting better, but it's not just my actions anymore. I used to, you know, get a little active, but now it's still in my heart. I may not do nothing, but I'm like, oh my God bless you, but it's in my heart. Man, time's up. Oh, I was like, yeah, it is. But it's, it, it's, still, it's still my heart. And the closer we get to the Lord, the conviction, it, it, it weighs on us. So this man didn't have peace. He walked away tormented, grieving, and sorrowful because he knew that he had just held on to and made a decision and a choice not to get right with God. As I'm preaching here and as I'm thinking and as I was praying, I, I, it sad and it might be sad that some here today might make this same choice that this man made. To not leave that one thing that God is putting on your heart right now. To not leave it here. To not let go of it. To not release it here today so that we can look forward to 2021, the close personal intimate relationship. But we're going to leave here holding on to that which we know is not pleasing. And that's sad. And I know if it grieves my heart, I know it grieves God's heart because he has plans for you. Don't, don't make the same mistake this man made. Let go of it. Release it. What's your one thing? Look at verse 23. It says, And Jesus, looking around, he said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed by his word. But Jesus answered them again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. So Jesus makes two powerful and radical statements here. Verse 23, Jesus said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. What a powerful yet true statement, but why is that a true statement? And I believe it's because of the temptation that the wealthy people would have to trust in their riches rather than to trust in Jesus. That's a temptation. You, have, you don't go without. You don't have no struggle. You don't have any, any need. And so you naturally cling to that. Jesus spoke about this very idea in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea. He says, you have become rich, you have become wealthy, you have no need. You've left your first love. <clears throat> you let go of it. You have no need for me, you have everything you need, and you're clinging and trusting in your riches rather than clinging and trusting in me. That's why Jesus said it's difficult for the wealthy. And it's easy when we hear the wealthy to naturally separate ourselves from, well, that, I'm glad he's not talking about me. Woof! I'm not wealthy. I'm broke as a joke, especially after Christmas. Sheesh. I'm so broke, I got to save to be broke, right? And we can easily naturally separate ourselves from that. But we need to understand we live in one of the most beautiful, blessed places in the world. And compared to 99% of the world, we are wealthy. You don't have to go too far to realize how you don't even have to leave the country. You don't have to go to a third world country. You can go to places in the United States of America and realize how wealthy and blessed we are. I'd heard that many times before, but I really didn't understand it until one time I was in the mission field in Kentucky up in the 
Appalachian Mountains. And I tell you what, we used to work with these group of girls, they were called throwaway kids, and it was just heartbreaking, the stories that they had been through. And we were there and we told them we, had, you know, we were from, you know, Orange County, and that was at the time there was TV shows and everything that they saw on TV was just crazy. And we told them that that's what they assumed. Sweetest thing, I was getting ready to leave one day and this girl handed me a letter. I'm thinking, oh man, she, I really blessed her, ministered to her, touched her. It wasn't the case. She wanted me to give a letter to Hannah Montana because obviously I'm from Orange County. I'm from LA. I know Hannah Montana. So can you, can you give me this? And I'm like, oh, sweetheart, I don't know Hannah Montana, <laughs> but you're from California. Man, you guys all live in the mansions out there. She, oh, wow. A few states over, she's thinking, well, you must know the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Why? Because I'm black? Like, what's going on, you know? I'm like, I do. I'll give it to him. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, wow. You jump on a plane for three hours, and all of a sudden, I'm seen as this rich, wealthy man. And I couldn't tell her I wasn't, because to her, guess what? I was. So it's all relative, right? We're, we're a blessed people, and we've got to be careful not to trust in anything other than Christ. When the disciples heard this, that it was difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, it says they were amazed. Because at this time, just like today, people naturally back then equated um, financial blessing with being right with God. So they're thinking, oh my goodness, what, what, what's going on here? And so they asked the question, they said, well then who can be saved? It says in verse 26, after he made these two statements about how difficult it is for the rich and the wealthy to inherit the kingdom of, they're thinking, man, there's no hope for us. If the rich people can't make it, then we definitely can't make it. And so Jesus answered their question, verse 26, after they began saying, who can be saved? He made it real simple. He said, with people, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, apart from Christ, apart from the miracle that Christ does in somebody's life, it's impossible for the rich, for the poor, for the middle class, for those who are in bondage, for any and everyone to be saved. But with Christ, it's possible. Only God can do a miracle and change a heart that is stone and wants nothing to do with God, and all of a sudden it becomes in love with Him. So it's not just the wealthy, it's anyone. It's for anyone to be saved apart from Christ. It's impossible. And so if you're here today and you're discouraged and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm bad and I, there's no way that God can save me, look around. You don't have to look very far other than, than me to realize the miracle that God can do in somebody's life. He can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of clay. That's the impossible. That's the miracle that God is still resurrecting people from the dead, that he's still giving life. It's impossible with man, but God can do the impossible. And so in closing, as we leave, let us contemplate. Let us take inventory. and Let us be honest with ourselves and with God and really see what's that one thing that's holding us back. And let's leave it here. Let's look, go of it now so we can leave different than that which we came in. Let's pray.